On this episode, I spoke with Brooklyn Nash, the founder of Beam Content, about content marketing. And we dove into what content marketing looks like in 2024, how to get more data-driven with your content. And we even dove into an example with metadata about a benchmarking report that was super interesting. So let's dive right into this episode. Uh, here, we'll just get started. So as, as we get started, I do want to give you a chance to introduce yourself, talk a little bit about the path that led you to Beam and kind of what you're most focused on right now. Yeah, all good questions. Uh, it was a long path to Beam. I started out as straight out of my master's degree as a freelance writer. Uh, so I was a freelancer for seven years and it's kind of all of it about I worked with e-commerce companies, B2B, B2C, product descriptions, SEO, case studies, and just slowly over those seven years, it narrowed into a focus on B2B and those selling into looking at moving up market, those who are selling larger deals with a higher ACV. And for those types of clients, you need more strategic, more impactful content because you're not going to have a CFO or a CTO or a CEO checking out an SEO article and converting from there. You need something that's going to really speak to them. I think that what doubled down during my two years, I was in-house at two different startups. The second of which was uh, I headed up community content. So I spent a lot of time talking to sales leaders about what they were doing. And over the course of that year, I just realized why should I, as a content marketer, pretend I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about something I've never done? Why wouldn't I take the time to talk to the folks who've actually done it, whether that's a product manager or a CTO or a CRO at all different levels? You should just talk to the person who's actually doing the thing that you're talking about in the content. So we did that over the course of the year at the sales startup. <laughs> And then jumped out of that and Sam, my co-founder and I were both at, at that same startup and we jumped out to start Beam with the idea that, look, what we did here, we can do for a lot of different B2B industries with a lot of different audiences. So that was kind of the kernel of, of Beam is realizing that the impact of community-based content, which kind of by default becomes expert-driven and data-driven content. Well, let's dive into that community-based content. When you say that, what are the different appearances that that can take? What, what can that look like for different companies? Yeah, we think of it as, I mean, your community is not your the Slack channel that you set up or just the customer community. Like your community is your engaged audience. So that can be uh, your internal folks. It can be your partners. It can be your customers. And it can be your ICP who are asking these questions and having these discussions. And it's just coming in in a way where you can be a curator of those conversations rather than just speaking at these folks. Um, so sometimes that is a, a dedicated community and you're bringing folks into Circle or Slack or a LinkedIn group or what have you and using the conversations happening there to inform your content strategy. But at the very least, it's people first content. So you're, you're talking to people who experts, who your audience are already following and respect and trust and using that for content rather than just speaking from the brand perspective or in the brand voice. Um, so it just kind of creates this flywheel or cir circular effect of 
you're taking time to understand the questions people are actually asking. You're talking to people about the answers to those questions. You're turning that into more compelling and engaging content, and then using that to reach the, reach those folks. And it kind of just turns into this flywheel for you. So I know that you focus a lot on content that dives deeper, content that is focused on customer insights, that requires inputs, requires whether it's survey data or going out and doing something like you've mentioned earlier. Why that approach as opposed to going more the scalable content marketing route? Yeah, good question. It is, it's, I don't want to say it's not scalable, but it is more time intensive, uh, resource intensive, um, investment intensive to go this route. The why is because of the types of folks that we work with, the clients we work with have, uh, higher ACV customers. They have, um, decision makers, whether spread across the company in the classic, like Carton Gartner image, we've all seen where the, the buyer's journey has changed. And then there's the other one of how much time folks want to spend talking to sales versus how much time they want to spend doing research on their own or talking to their peers. We're trying to work with the folks who are targeting those types of prospects, um, where everyone from the, uh, the procurement manager to the CRO is involved in the decision to make coaches. Um, I think in those instances, taking the time and investing the resources in more impactful and engaging content really makes a difference because you're not, you're not going to convert those prospects by just scaling up a ton of SEO content, for example, because it's not, it's not going to be in depth enough or educational enough or engaging enough for your audience. So do you, can you think of an example recently or, or over time with, with beam where you've worked with a company on a piece of content? I'd, I'd love to dive into kind of your process for, you know, one specific piece of content, how you came up with the idea, how you actually went about creating it and, and why everything in between that you'd be comfortable sharing. Yeah. Um, a couple of different examples, one that gets into data driven content and one that gets into expert driven content. One is with called metadata two years in a row. Now with them, we've put out benchmark report for paid advertising on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, they've done a gated version. They've done an ungated version. They've tied it to their paid campaigns. They've tied it to merchant campaigns. They've given it to their sales team to use. Um, it's just a once a year benchmark report that we've worked on with them, but because it's original data based off of the marketing spend, the, the paid spend that metadata customers have, uh, have spent on their platform this over the past year, it's unique to metadata metadata is the only one who has that data. And really the only one putting out true benchmarks around advertising on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, off of that benchmark report, we also did a series of follow-up articles that went deeper into particular from foot long scale cleft stings, um, benchmark for Facebook, benchmarks for LinkedIn, um, best design uh, ideas for each one, um, CTAs for each platform and so on. So I think by a leaning on original unique data and B digging deeper into the questions that a lot of folks are searching for that 
one kind of series packaged piece of content uh, benefited everything from performance marketing and our previous point of contact at metadata said they could they could have turned off all their other <laughs> paid campaigns for six plus months and that the benchmark report alone would have been enough to support those campaigns and driven leads to them um and then by doing the follow-up articles it wasn't even meant for seo but because we were digging into those granular long tail questions they actually ended up doing really well on search so now they're in the number one and number two spot for quite a few uh, facebook and linkedin advertising related questions um i don't think we could have done that if it was just like 11 best practices for LinkedIn advertising, make the more typical or traditional approach to content. Um, the other example is we did a series with, actually we've done this a few times with different, different clients. We do a, uh, blank on blank series. So marketer hire on marketer hire, for example. Um, and we sit down with internal folks and talk to them about how they use their platform for their function. So with one client, we did six different pieces like this. We talked to their, um, PLG lead. We talked to their field marketing lead. We talked to their demand gen lead and talked to them about how they were using their platform for their lead role. And did a series of six of these that goes written and bylined by that person. And then as a follow up, we also took those six and reconfigured and repackaged them into an ebook from the brand voice that was essentially a a more holistic guide to using their platform for marketing and it went through each of those functions so i think a we were able to get more out of those interviews it was you know six 45 minute interviews that we were able to turn into seven pretty impactful pieces of content and b we were able to get a lot more granular and specific about the how-to than if we were doing our own research and not talking to the actual experts. Why, for the benchmark report, why do you think something like that resonated with metadata's audience? Do you feel like that was fairly predictable or were there even audiences that came from that or results that came from that that were unexpected? I think it was expected. Um, they're actually the ones that they knew they were sitting on this platform data and wanted to turn it into a piece of content. So we started working with them on it. Um, I think it resonated because there was, there's not a whole lot of guidance out there as specific as that. Like you can get into, you know, you can Google best practices, but it's not as, it's not as specific as when you're dealing with actual benchmark data of, okay, if you're just spinning up a new paid campaign on LinkedIn, what's the click-through rate you should be looking for? Um, what CTA should you prioritize? Um, what should you put in your ad creative? All these questions were tackled within the benchmark data. So it wasn't just like, it wasn't just a report to a report's sake that you can read and then go on your merry way. It's something that you can turn into. Uh, a very tactical next step for yourself as somebody who's, who's reading it. So I, I'd be curious about this personally. Let's say you have somebody that comes into beam and they're just kind of like a really vanilla client. They come in and they're doing literally everything that all of the other companies in their niche or in SaaS or whatever are doing. It's just blog posts and that's pretty much it. And their, their view of content marketing is blog posts. So they come to you to spice things up. 
right now, what are kind of the opportunities you're looking at for companies like that to turn that on its head and actually do more interesting work with them? Yeah, good question. I think there's two things that we nearly always recommend, um, especially if we're kind of starting at the base level. I think number one, sorry if I sound like a broken record, but it's, all right, you're putting out a lot of content on these topics, but it's very surface level and it's very clear to anyone who has actually done the thing that this is a marketer writing about a thing they've never done. So let's take a step back and let's talk to your actual experts. Like if your target audience is uh, an L&D leader, we should be talking to L&D leaders about these topics rather than just spinning our wheels and trying to come up with something on our own. Um, actually, it's through things. So that's number one. Let's actually talk to the experts because you have them avail available. I have not, I have not come across a single company, prospect or client that does not have expertise, whether that's with it, your internal team, your platform partners. Or even your customers. I think folks often turn to customers just for case studies and that's it. But you can talk to your customers about so much more. And I think you're going to get better engagement if you're not taking the typical problem, solution, outcome, case study approach. You're saying, hey, what's your playbook for this thing? And you're featuring them rather than, well, I was a little bit of a tension. Um, I think number two is taking a step back to ask what we're talking about, why we're talking about it and who we're talking to. So in our very first month with any new client, we, we call it the blueprint month for content strategy. So we talk to sales, we talk to customer success, we talk to the leadership team, uh, we talk to our main point of contact and then their kind of closest coworkers on the marketing team to get a full sense of who the audience is, um, what sales conversations look like, the pain points folks are running into, the objections they're raising, um, why people convert and we turn that into a guide that informs the entire remainder of the year of content so that it's not scattershot approach to content. It's here's the three or four main themes that we want to hit on over the course of the year again and again from different perspectives and all the topics under each of those themes. So it just brings kind of a cohesion and focus to content. Um, yeah. And then number three is just bringing more personality. So the typical approach would be blog posts with the, the either brand byline or the content marketers byline and the brand page on social, but let's connect the dots between those things. And actually, I mean, the classic, it's maybe almost a cliche now is people buy from people or even if it is B2B. So let's double down on that. What can we do with your CEOs or your CROs or your CMOs social presence so that you're, you're building brand awareness through a personal account rather than just the brand account. Let's look at the bylines instead of it coming from the content marketer. If you're talking to salespeople, let's make it come from your VP of sales or your CRO. Um, and then connecting the dots between the two. Like, do you have a podcast interview? You can turn that into an article. You can turn that into 12 different social posts. You can turn it into an email through your nurture. Like there's just so many different ways you can use one single conversation that you get people to have that conversation. I'm sure you've come across um, companies, founders, whomever, points of contact that are really into trends. And with B2B, there's always kind of like a lag between when everybody else is hopping on a trend and then it gets to B2B. 
Um, so, so when they come to you and say like, oh, well, we need to do short, short, short form video now, is that what we have to focus all of our effort on? Or, or, you know, AI is another one. Do we, should we be scaling AI using programmatic SEO or whatever it may be? When these big trends come your way that maybe don't fit perfectly with either what you'd like to do or, or maybe you feel like it's just not the best way to do content marketing, period. What are the discussions you have with people around this? And I guess, what are your thoughts around those trends? Yeah, good question. I think my first two questions are always why they want to invest in that particular tactic or channel. And then honestly, the most important is who they're targeting to see if that tactic or channel makes sense. Um, I'm not, I don't usually try to dissuade prospects or just folks on networking calls from a particular course of action, just because we don't offer it. Um, if they, you know, if they have an audience that is B2B to C, for example, they're serving e-commerce companies or, or retailers, then short-term video probably does make a lot of sense. We don't do video production, but I can point them in the right direction. Um, in terms of it being a trend, I think marketers are no soldiers to shiny object syndrome where it's, oh, you know, for a hot second, it was uh, clubhouse and then it's, oh, should we be on TikTok? And now I've um, what's the new one threads? Like, should we be looking at all these different channels? And my typical advice is let's make sure you have your foundation set on the channels you're on currently before we start chasing these other channels with tactics. It's like just lay the foundation. On the AI front, how, how do you see that? happening right now like ai for content marketing specifically what do you trust it with if anything what do you not trust ai for and how do you think the future unfolds between those two yeah i feel like i gotta tread carefully here because you're at copy.ai right no but don't tread carefully at all <laughs> go for it yeah yeah uh, i think it's super useful for a lot of things um but my other co-founder, Becca, heads up our operations and she leans on it all the time for uh, building processes, for taking a transcript and, uh, and turning it into a step-by-step how-to and generating ideas. What I, and so I think it's very useful. I'm not like an AI critic. I think what gets problematic is when folks lean on it for A, for uh, content strategy and then B for long form content execution. I think you can ask AI to help you with content strategy, but it's going to end up looking a lot like if you had leaned on just some rush or Ahrefs and we're basing all of your strategy solely on SEO, instead of taking time to listen to customer interviews, talk to the customers yourselves, talk to your sales team, talk to your leadership team, um, get active on social or in communities to hear what people are talking about. There's going to be a huge lag of what AI is going to be able to put together for you for in terms of strategy. It just needs to be human based. Um, and then on execution, I've put it to the test with long form content. Um, I tried a few different tools, ChatGPT and a handful of actual paid tools. And again, if you're talking to an informed buyer who is looking at spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars with you. AI is not going to cuddle or creating the type of content that's going to speak to them. It's just going to end up sounding very generic. Um, I mean, honestly, the same way as if you had a 
you know, SEO writer with two years of experience trying to write about this little pretty technical topic for a CPO or a CTO. Like it's just not, it's not going to land. Um, so if seal in terms of content execution for a particular type of audience, it feels like a little bit of a race to the bottom. It should not be about scale. It should be about impact. Last question for you as we wrap up here, as you look back to the beginning of your career as a content marketer to now, what would be one thing that you would maybe do differently or a shortcut that you, you see that you could have taken to kind of get where you are quicker? What, what's one, one piece of advice, I guess, that you would give yourself back then? Yeah, I think, I think I'd say spending more time talking to folks who are not in your lane or within your function. So if you're, if you're a demand gen marketer, take time to learn some brand marketers and content marketers and field marketers, um, and even more extensively, talk to sales, talk to CS, uh, you know, the ones who are actually talking to the customers. Right. Um, so yeah, that like get outside yourself and take time to, to talk to folks who have a different perspective on marketing than you and are, are solving different problems than you. Cause I think that's going to a help you do your job better and be speak their language when it comes time to collaborate because what is marketing, if not collaboration between people wearing a bunch of different hats. Awesome. Well, uh, Brooklyn, I, I appreciate you joining. Where's the best place for people to find you as we wrap up? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Um, you can just search for me there.